Hey, everybody. This is Ruben, very first podcast episode in over a year, actually, about a year and a half or so. So super excited to have a reason to bring this back. And my reason today is to talk to my good friend, Jackson Workman. So I met Jackson a few years ago. I'll let him tell his story in, in a bit. But the reason this podcast really kicked off is that Jackson is helping me to really show this vision that I've had for a podcast for a while, which is just to get to know real human beings. So we spend so much time talking to celebrities, understanding what they get up to, trying to understand their habits. And we fall into the trap of forgetting that all of us are on this human journey, all of us trying to figure out life one day, one moment at a time. And so I've had the pleasure to meet wonderful people like Jackson all my life, and I couldn't imagine a better person to kick off these types of conversations with. So welcome, Jackson. Hey, Ruben. Thank you. Thank you so much. Very gracious of you. Yeah, I know when we originally met, I met you as Jackie Workman when we were working together oh, about a year and a half ago. <laughs> Obviously, a lot's changed since, since then. My life has changed cities. I've changed names. I go by Jackson. I changed my name to Jackson Elliott, and my friends uh, call me Jax. And I've also started transitioning from female to male or somewhere on that spectrum is like where I'm ending up. So I'm super happy to be here. Thank you for thinking of me for this podcast. Let's do it. Let's do it. Perfect. So I am a total idiot and called Jackson, Jackson Workman, the whole two minute intro uh, and not Jackson Elliott. So I will clean that up and re-record that in a bit. Well, Elliot, <laughs> Elliot's just going to be my middle name. I'm going to be changing my last name, I think, but I'm not set on it yet. So the intro is fine. Ah, perfect. This is actually a great segue into what the setup for today is going to look like. So as you might imagine, Jackson's story for a lot of us can be something that's delicate. And today's goal with this conversation is, um, and in Jackson's own words, it's to, to be okay being a little bit uncomfortable as long as you're doing it with the best of intentions and honorably and really looking to learn. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So I welcome you to ask questions that you may not know how to phrase or if you're using the right words or the right context or anything like that. That's really a big part of what I want this conversation to be about is teaching people and showing people that you can, it's okay to ask questions as long as you're doing it from a place of love and not in this moment of disparity. So yeah, we're good to go. Right on. Awesome. So we were talking a little bit before we started recording and just trying to get a sense for for where to start. And we thought, why not start with just your story as you want to tell it? So if you could snap your fingers, how would people see you 100% of the time? How, how would they understand what your life has been so far? And then how would you like them to understand you? If I could snap my fingers and people see me any one way, I would snap my fingers and have them actually see me rather than just view me see me through my actions, see my heart, see my spirit, see the way I seek to serve others in um, every day of my life. And honestly, I wish that I could snap my fingers and collectively change that for humans across the board. We lose so much insight when we just view things with our eyes. Like we all do it. We're human. We make judgments on people based on how we perceive them to be mainly based on how they look and how they carry themselves in the world sometimes. We all have both conscious and unconscious biases. And I think that 
if magically we could transcend as a species at the same time to start viewing with who we are and not what we have physically, then the world would be infinitely better. Well said. Infinitely better indeed. You know, it's interesting. We talked about this question as we were preparing for this and we were chatting about how for some people, their answer could be something related to wealth, something related Mm -hmm. to a certain profession, something about whatever dream. Mm -hmm. Um, But for you, it's really about being able to see each other as real full humans and in all of our glory. And so I'm curious, can you share a bit about your story and how you got here to wish that upon the world? Yeah, for sure. So society puts us all in this kind of like rat race. You have to go to college, you have to get the good job, and then you have to get the good marriage, and then you'll get the nice house, and you'll get the nice car, and all of that. And social media has enhanced that competitiveness between us and that success looks the same across the board. But that's just not true. And I learned that through a lot of hard period of periods of time in my life. When I was 18 to 20, I had a really successful professional career in the culinary industry. I'd cooked in New York. I did a moonlight in San Francisco for a moment. I worked at multiple fine dining restaurants in Austin and I was proud of myself and I felt powerful. And then when I was 21, I unfortunately got Lyme disease, which is a chronic illness. And all of that was taken away from me. And I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I didn't know where I was going without this title of being a chef and having all the accolades that come with it. That was a really difficult time in my life over the past eight years. And so then I started working in an office environment and I started as an admin assistant. Then I leveled up to executive assistant and then I was executive assistant to the C-suite, the CEO and, and things of that nature. And with that, my salary increased. And I'm like, cool, this is it. People will respect me now. Like I have a good job and I have all these things that I'm supposed to have. And then boom, like health issues come up again and everything's gone. And I really had to learn that my worth is not inherent on my output or how much money I earn because every time a job went away or every time my health became an issue, I had no idea who I was anymore. And that wasn't okay. I had to learn that just existing and loving people and being there for my friends and my family is success in itself. And it's, I just wish I learned it the hard way. And I don't know if there's an easy way to learn that view, but I hope that everyone can come to know that at some point in their life, because it's just brought me so much more peace. You say you, you learned that the hard way and you're not sure if there's an easy way to learn it. And, and I couldn't agree more. It seems somehow that adversity is the thing that really teaches you who you really are sometimes. And sometimes there's moments where you can break and sometimes there's moments that it only makes you stronger, but you can only figure that out by going there. Yeah. If you think about whenever you're growing up, like from a kid, or if you're working out and you want to put on a lot of muscle, you go through growing pains, growth spurts, your bones are spreading, your muscles are growing, and it's painful. And for me, I associated that really early on because I was in competitive uh, sports, that all growth comes with some aspect of pain. Mm. And that's the same thing with personal and like self-growth. All growth comes with some pain. I like that. You said um, you had to kind of 
I forget if you phrased it this way, but it was like unlearn so many things about tying your worth to your output. Yeah. How does someone get started with that conversation with themselves? Therapy. Um, <laughs> no, Real seriously, talk. like ther- therapy is great. I wish that I had started going to therapy like in my 20s, in my early 20s instead of my late 20s, because I spent so much of my life constantly worried, am I enough for this human? Am I enough for my job? Or if I didn't do A through Z, then they weren't going to respect me or like me anymore or, or anything like that. And I constantly felt like I had to do something for someone to be enough for them to like be my friend or care about me or love me. And that's across the board, friends, parents, romantic in- interests, everyone. For me, it presented in a really unhealthy way of constantly bending and stooping to fit into the box that these people wanted me to operate within. Hmm. And then when the job goes away, when that human went away, I'm like, yo, what do I do now without this box I was supposed to fit in? So I had to build my own life, not a box. I don't live in boxes. I just had to start from zero. And therapy is great. Friends are great. And self-reflection is great. It's the trifecta. Real talk. The trifecta. I love that. I love that. You spoke about letting go and sometimes a human leaving also means a job leaving or or having to toe the line of like how much to share versus not or how much to go there. Mm -hmm. What do you think people most often get wrong about you? And why do you think that is? I think what people most often get wrong about me is they make a judgment call based off who I am as a person, based on how I look. And then based on how I look, you know, something I've gotten before is, oh, you're just another liberal or, oh, like you're clearly like a butch lesbian and and you hate men or people make these generalizations about people who are obviously queer all the time and they're not always correct at all. But it's something that I think most humans get wrong in general across the board is just making those generalizations about anyone, queer or not. And again, if we could start seeing like with our heart instead of our eyes, like we would do so much better. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was thinking um, this piece about people getting defensive way too quickly. You were sharing around how there's a certain level of fear that seems to be present and how there's a certain level of, of awareness, I think is the way you put it for getting over that fear. Fear as in someone who doesn't know um, how to interact with a queer person. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. For sure. So also, real quick, I want to say that I own the word queer as my own sexual identity and as an umbrella for the LGBTQIA community. But that is in no way representative of like how all people of that community refer to themselves. Hmm. It's just everything we talk about today is like my experience and my perception of events that have happened in my life. I just want to make it clear that I'm not speaking for everyone on the LGBTQIA spectrum. So for instance, right now I'm in Lafayette, Louisiana, and this is where I came out. And I've encountered a lot of people who may have never met a queer person before, or if they've seen them, they haven't talked to them. And maybe let's say this human is religious and they have no idea how to interact with me or how to talk to me. They don't know anything about pronouns. 
but they also want to be inquisitive and figure it out. I think that no matter where you are, whether you're straight, cisgendered, or queer, or a, a person of color, or anything like that, when we encounter someone that is the exact opposite of us, it's natural to react with, oh no, what do I say? Or, oh, I don't like that human because they're the exact opposite of everything that I hold true and like dear to my heart about the world. And so I do think that people get defensive because they go into self-preservation mode because mm -hmm. they feel like they're about to enter into a conversation that could potentially be unsafe. And I've seen that on both sides of the queer issues between those who think that being gay is a sin, those who think that gay marriage shouldn't exist. And I've seen queer humans also get super defensive. And then the next thing you know, we're just yelling at each other and we're not really listening or, or gaining any ground. And so I think that if you're going to enter into that conversation with someone, and I had to do this as well, there has to be a level of self-awareness that you understand that you are in control of your own emotions, that you are not projecting your past trauma onto this human that is just trying to have a conversation with you, hmm. that you're actively listening to what they have to say and meeting in the middle and to really try to get an understanding. Because if you are trying to change someone's mind about anything, and you're just yelling at them that they're wrong and they're stupid, that's just going to fail. And I think that's where a lot of things go wrong or are currently going wrong today because everyone is so elevated and rightfully angry about particular issues. But we all need to be able to do the work so that we can have those conversations to build bridges as a community. Absolutely. Yeah. You said yesterday, you almost have to become true artists in communication, not in any other mm. subject. And, and I thought that the way you synthesized that made so much sense because you're so right. It's being self-aware enough of the language you're using, of the projections you're making, of the insecurities that, that might be ruminating in the back of your mind, now reflecting right. in how you engage with this person. Um, and so you, being aware of all of that is, is a mastery. <laughs> yeah. All of that goes into communicating well. Sometimes it's hard for me and I'm sure it's hard for you. You're in people operations. I've been in communications and leadership development courses since I was 10. And it's still hard for me sometimes to figure out how to communicate with someone. But you don't need to take classes to learn how to communicate. All you really need to do to start is to sit down and be willing and able to hold an empathetic space for the other individuals that you're interacting with. That's where you start. Just hold some space. Hold some space. One thing we were talking about was there are certain moments in our lives that really shape us. And sometimes those are great pleasures and sometimes those are great pains. But mm -hmm. for whatever reason, there's still the moments that shape us to, to who we are today. And so to that end, what moments in your life do you feel most shaped to you, pleasures and pains? Man, I think that it's really interesting that we're having this conversation at this current time and place where I'm in Lafayette, Louisiana. One life event that really shaped who I am today is growing up in New Orleans. It's not really a life event, it's my life. Growing up in New Orleans, you have hurricanes every year, and it doesn't matter if the stranger down the street needs help and they don't know you, like you're helping them and everyone's helping each other. And I credit growing up in New Orleans for giving me such a passion and a sense of community and how to interact with people who are different from you. It doesn't matter that guy's politics are different than mine. 
we're all literally trying to survive and help each other rebuild. So with that, when Hurricane Katrina happened, I moved to Lafayette with my mom because I was still in high school. And I didn't have a great experience here. I came out when I was 16 and I cut off all my hair. It's a little bit longer than it is now. But when I did that, I started experiencing the abusive nature of what toxic masculinity can produce. I learned how to fight. I went and I took boxing classes and jujitsu classes because I was used to random men uh, walking down the street, just pushing me or starting a fight with me just because something about my existence and the way that I look challenged their masculinity in some way. And they uh -huh. wanted to show me what a real man looked like or how a real man acted or basically put me in my place. It was the vibe of, you want to be a man, I'll treat you like a man, here you go. While they're just like punching you in the face. So I've had a lot of trauma here, for sure. I can't tell you, I can't count how many street fights I've been in out of self-preservation. And I've also been harassed by police, which is why I have such... Not that we need a relative experience to have empathy for someone, but it's why I have so much empathy and understanding for the Black Lives Matter movement, because I know what it's like to be standing in a circle of eight cops on the side of the road, like taunting you, calling me gay slurs, pushing me, just trying, doing anything to get a reaction out of me. And I was lucky enough that there was one cop there that night that did the right thing and he let me go. And that's a long story short of it. But I just remember constantly being like ready, like my head's constantly on a swivel in Lafayette. And now, 12 years later, I don't feel like that anymore. There's a little bit of me that's guarded, but I'm interacting with people at the gas station and they're talking to me nicely. And I'm like, am I passing as male or has like Lafayette just come really far? And a good friend of mine said, it, I think it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. Moments in my life that have gotten me here, you can sum it up to trauma experiences and love experiences. For a while, I was really terrified to come out, even living in Austin. I was scared to come out as Jackson. I've known that I wanted to be Jackson Elliott for four years, but I never felt safe enough to do it until I met my ex-girlfriend, Amanda, who you met. Mm -hmm. And she just loved me in such a way that I felt free. Mm. And she helped me feel comfortable with myself. Sometimes she'd call me her boyfriend. Sometimes she'd call me her girlfriend. Sometimes she'd use masculine pronouns. Sometimes she used feminine pronouns. Her holding that space for me really gave me the wherewithal to decide who I am for myself. And I will always be inherently grateful for that experience. When you shared that with me recently, it was... I, and at the surface of it, it's surprising. But then when I thought about it, very much not surprising because I met you within the window of, of four years ago. And you, mm -hmm. you said you've known um, you wanted to go by Jackson since four years ago. And so you introduced yourself as Jackie to me mm -hmm. and you and I met in a work context. And talk about that a little bit. You were, you were sharing with me how you're living this double life almost and having to be two people at once or more. Yeah. 
So my friends for about the past three to four years, no five, have called me Jax as a nickname because I felt more in my body when I was using that as my name. But I didn't think that Jax was sufficient as a business name. So in my professional life, I was going by Jackie Workman. And in my personal life, I was Jax. That happened because as an executive assistant to the C-suite, I'm interacting with external stakeholders, prepping meetings with other CEOs, with whatever needs to be done. And I'm also representative of the CEO of the company I'm working for. And I didn't want my gender or being trans or going by Jackson to threaten my livelihood in any way. Like I was terrified of it. I was terrified of not being accepted by my coworkers. I was terrified of not being accepted by my boss and being let go for not being a good fit. And it was exhausting for sure. And 2020 happened and I got laid off so many other people. And I also went through a breakup with Amanda and I also moved cities and I also went through a really traumatic experience when I tried to come out to my family. And then I was like, this is it. If there's ever a time to come out, it's now because <laughs> literally nothing else matters. Nothing else is going on. So I just pulled the trigger and I did it. And I came out as Jackson Elliott and I got so much overwhelming, an, an overwhelming amount of support from people that I wouldn't even expect. Like people that I've met once, people that I've met 10 years ago and haven't spoken to since. Everyone just came out of the woodwork, so to speak. And I gained so much more community than I already had. When the reason why I was so scared to come out is because I was like, I couldn't lose one more thing. Mm. I was like, I can't lose. And I need a job. Like I can't lose an opportunity for money. I can't lose another friend. I can't lose another family member. And then Amanda said, what if this is the one thing that changes everything that gets you everything you're supposed to have? That just blew me away. And that nugget has always been in the back of my mind until I came out about two months ago, three, almost three months ago now. And I can say that she was right. Amanda, wherever you are, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Amanda. And, <laughs> yeah. And I've, I'm happier now, even though most aspects of my life are up in the air. I am so much happier now just because like, I'm completely owning my authentic self. Mm. Thank you for sharing, first of all. And I think I, I have a, a follow-up question on this, but I, I do want to just share just because you, you shared a bit about your coming out story. Like if there's anything, if there's anyone listening that has been wrestling with a lot of the same questions about how much they'll lose mm -hmm. and whatnot, what would you want them to hear? I would say, and this kind of ties into what I would say to my younger self, no matter where you are, no matter what age you are, it's never too late to come out and be who you are. It's never too late to start over and rebuild. And I promise you, whoever it is that you're scared of losing by coming out, either they're going to love you and not have an issue with it, or someone else that is supportive of you, that is deserving of you, and your kindness and your love and your friendship is going to come along and fill that gap. Life is too short for us to make ourselves smaller, to fit into other people's lives that really don't even make us happy. 
So there's a whole family, a whole community, like waiting to meet you, waiting to welcome you. And anyone who hears this that doesn't have someone in their life, you can message me on Instagram. I'm at whodatjax with two X's, W-H-O-D-A-T-J-A-X-X. And I will be your family. So there you go. And for those folks listening who, who hear things like that on podcasts often and then never hear back, I can assure you Jax is the person who will respond uh, and will be there for you as Absolutely. proven time and time again. So one, one question I had was around, you touched on this theme about how this trauma that you've gone through and, and the fights and the experiences back in Lafayette, how being able to take all of that and actually, I forget how you phrase it, but basically that, that ended up being the, the root in a lot of ways of you having more love or making you a more loving person. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that people don't, it, it's just, you can't really understand something you've never experienced. Some people have an incredible capacity for empathy from jump. They were raised in great families they had great friends and all of those things help cultivate who they are um, to hold space for people. I didn't really have that. I didn't have a traumatic childhood, so to speak, but I also didn't have one that taught me how to deal with my feelings and how to express them. Then coming out at 16 and dealing with everything that I dealt with there, I definitely shut down for a bit in sort of like a self-preservation and I was always like guarded and ready. But really what cracked me wide open was my health issues. You are never more vulnerable than when your body is not working for you. Mm. And that literally broke me. And I almost died. Like I remember being 22 years old in a hospital bed, looking up at my mom saying, I don't want to die in the hospital, take me home. Wow. And luckily I'm still here, but going through so much trauma and so much pain in whatever aspect I encountered it just really made me want to do something with my life that helped other people not go through those things. So if that means getting involved in politics or getting involved in the community and having an outlet to build community for more queer people to have a family if theirs isn't safe, or if it's just getting involved in any capacity. If I can help someone either not go through that trauma or work through it after they've gone through it, then that's how I view myself as being successful. Mm -hmm. Being in service to your community and making it a better place. Yeah. You touched on health a little bit and you shared with us that you've battled with chronic Lyme disease since your very early 20s and that's affected so much of the last decade of your life. I'm curious, that sounds pretty hard for anyone to go through, but I imagine that your experience as someone, as you identify in the queer community, as you say, an even, an even trickier experience. Yeah, it definitely... It was definitely difficult. When you're in your early 20s, you think about people going to college, people going to parties, people just having that set of experiences. And I never really got to have that because I was always sick and or my body was always struggling. I don't like to use the word sick as an identifier of myself anymore. I've moved past that place. But 
in the queen and in the queer community it's dance parties all day every day tuesday wednesday like mm-hmm. we're there's glitter everywhere and we're all just having a good time because when we come together we feel safe enough to be free and and act as we would uh, act as we would in in every aspect of our life should we feel safe enough to do so. and now that i'm transitioning not only am i immunocompromised but taking testosterone also makes also is an immunosuppressant which means like i'm extra compromised and during this year i have to be wildly diligent about my covid bubble and who i'm around and and what i do so i don't expose myself and that looks like getting regular lab work even more so than some people who who are transitioning would have to get just to make sure that like my white blood cell counts are good and and all of that so it's definitely a balancing act got it got it yeah it's so many things to juggle and then there's like these extra factors to to juggle some more um, just to see if you can take it. Anyways. Yeah, that's what 2020 did. It's, hey, all these issues you have, we're just going to bring them all up at one time and you're just going to do it. And that's how you're going to move forward. And that's that really is how it happened. I, I lost my job, went through a breakup and COVID lockdown all within a period of three weeks. Wow. And, and then I had a lot of time for self-reflection. I wanted to figure out what was next. I didn't really feel tied to Austin anymore. I didn't really feel like I had a community there anymore. So I thought I'm going to go to New Orleans. I need to be around people who know me and love me. And that didn't really work out. That that didn't pan out very quickly. So then I was going to go back to Austin and move in with some wonderful friends of mine who offered me to rent a room in their house. And then I visited Lafayette and I was only supposed to be here for about a week. And then two weeks into it, you know, about a month and a half here now, hmm. I was like, oh, I'm moving here. This is where I'm going to be. And it, it was strange. I was just like, I don't know why, but this is where I'm supposed to be. And we can definitely dive in more on that if you want. Yeah. Yeah. I was just about to take us there. I was thinking, speaking of Lafayette, the first time that, that you came out, it wasn't well received at all. And you've got all these... Really rough, tough memories about it, and just anyway, it's the kind of place that you don't think you'd go back to. And and you shared how, in a way, you've you've come a bit full circle being in Lafayette yeah. now. And so, I was curious. The question that we touched on a little bit earlier, if there was anything else to add around, what would you tell yourself ten years ago? And then the flip of that, what would you like to be able to tell yourself ten years from now? If I could tell myself anything 10 years ago first off don't break your leg stop playing rugby and take care of your body two again stop making yourself smaller just to keep people in your life that don't belong in your life to begin with and i would tell young jacks like you live life in a very radical way and you feel things in a very big way and that is a hundred percent not just okay but it's necessary for the world and it's necessary for you as a human to grow to be the human that you deserve to be able to be and just stop holding on to so much like toxic shame and go to therapy earlier and learn to love yourself because it's a lot better on the other side Mm. and then in 10 years 
I was thinking about this. I was chewing on it last night. There's a song by Nako Bear called Great Spirit. The YouTube version of it is way better than the recorded version of it, in my opinion. But there's a line. I'm going to read it. There's a line that says, for my sisters, let me be a flowing river. Flood the banks, the rocks that bind her. For my brothers, let me be a mountain under which he climbs to discover his process. Now that's progress. And that's what I want the next 10 years of my life to look like. I want to build a community, help my brothers, my sisters, just humans in general, get free of the boxes that they're encapsulated in, help them, enable them to figure out who they are, where they want to go, what they want to do, and just love them where they're at. If I can help people feel free and feel truly loved and truly love themselves, then I will feel successful. Even if it doesn't look like you want it to look, Jax, if you're helping people, you're doing something right. Ain't that the truth? Yeah, I, I thank you for sharing. First of all, I, th- I think every time it's interesting. We we don't get to catch up very often, and yet every time we catch up, I'm always thankful for how expressive you are and how articulate uh, you are as a human. Not just not because of any box you're in, mm-hmm. but just how well spoken you touch on certain topics, and especially learning to love yourself and learning to love those around you. Just thank you for that. I appreciate that. Thank you. I learned really early on that I'm a very empathetic human and being an empathetic human, you also have to get good at setting boundaries so that you don't overextend yourself or take on other people's things as your own. And that comes with its own set of issues that could happen if you don't know how to differentiate those things. And I also learned that I'm really comfortable having uncomfortable situations or Mm -hmm. talking about uncomfortable things and just holding space for people and that's honestly like what I'm most proud of myself about. And it's not like an ego proud. It's a, I'm so happy to be able to fill the, the gap of a servant leader in this way. I love that. I love that. We were talking yesterday about that Alan Watts quote I hit you with about the highest virtue is not conscious of itself as virtue and therefore mm-hmm. really is virtue. And it strikes me that you're heading down a path of virtue, but people like me will call it virtue. And for you, it'll just be living another good day and impacting your community, which is a sign of of true virtue. So I I really appreciate that. There was one thing I'm just looking at our notes here that I'm forgetting the question that I had for you. If there was something that we hadn't touched on. There's something that we didn't touch on yesterday that I was thinking about today that I thought would be really cool to talk about. Yeah. Um, Let's go there. It's just my experience as a trans masculine human to date. So Mm. backstory, I learned about six years ago that I was given feminizing hormones at birth, which means that something about my body was not a hundred percent female. And so I am on the intersex spectrum and I've learned that Intersex doesn't just mean that a human has both sets or any variation of a mixture of set of genitalia. It can just be your hormones. It can be what's called XXY syndrome, which I have, which means that I have a Y in my genetic sequence. 
So I naturally had an elevated level of testosterone even before I started taking tea. And now being five months in to this transition, I identify as intersex, as queer, and I go by pronouns that are he and them because I am inherently both. And I think that even in the queer community, when someone transitions, whether they were assigned female at birth or assigned male at birth, and they're going to the opposite end of the spectrum, we still look at it as this binary system. It's like you were this and now you're that. And it's really a million places in between. No one's transition is the same as anyone else's, just like no one's life trajectory is the same as anyone else's. I think part of the reason maybe why I waited so long to come out and to start taking tea is because of a trauma loop. So there's a narrative that some cisgendered heterosexual men, like the men that I encountered when I was younger, they believe that every masculine of center lesbian wants to be a man. And that's just absolutely incorrect. Masculinity and femininity do not have a gender as far as I'm concerned. And each human has both the divine feminine and the divine masculine in all of us. For me, I fit that typical storyline of, oh, you were a butch lesbian and now you're transitioning to male. So yeah, we were right about you. And I'm like, no, you weren't right about me at all. Mm. And even if you were, it's not about them, it's about me. I'm naturally very, I naturally carry a very masculine presence, but there are parts of me that are uniquely feminine. Granted, not everyone sees those parts of me, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that I am lacking feminine divinity in any way. Mm-hmm. And I fit this typical, I say typical, mold of how a trans man looks. Like I have short hair, like Mm. my aesthetic, the clothes I wear, I I look like a boy. And I, but I know some trans guys that love to do burlesque and pole Mm. dance and wear glitter and have crazy hair colors and do all of these things. Like there's no one way to be a male. And that's just something that I think collectively, cis het people and queer people need to understand that just because someone's transitioning from female to male or male to female doesn't mean we're going to or that we should have to fit the societal look that people associate with that gender. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. I find it fascinating about your chromosomes and and the piece about at birth Mm -hmm. being given hormones to be pushed one way versus another. There's a real biological basis for being exactly who you are, your wonderful human self. And, And I remember yesterday you mentioned how you had an encounter early in life when you had come out recently where folks thought you could just pray it out of yourself and, and there wasn't any biological oh. basis for it or anything like that. Yeah. Snap your fingers and, and be informed, you know? Uh, yeah, so <laughs> it does, you cannot pray the gay away. And that thought process, let me back up. I wasn't raised in a very religious home. My mother was not associated with any sort of religion. My father's a Roman Catholic, but I didn't live with him. But my uncle was a born-again Christian, and he's the kindest man I've ever known. And he took me to church with him when I was a kid in youth group, and I kind of got a vibe for it. And I thought I wanted to be a pastor, mainly because I wanted to help people be happy. When people would ask me, what do you want to do with your life? 
I'm like, I want to help people be happy. And that's all I knew how to say it at that point in time. But what that meant is I want to, I want to help people feel seen, feel heard, feel validated, feel loved in like everything that they inherently are minus anything that they do. So I went that route for a bit. And when I got sick, when I was 21, I came back to Lafayette to stay with my mom. And at that, that point in time, I reconnected with a friend who was going to a local church here. And I was so desperate for community. I was like, cool, sure, I'll go to church. And all of those feelings of wanting to help people and get involved and help build community came back. And that's what churches do, right? Like they build community and help people be spiritually free, emotionally free, all of that. And I got involved in the leadership team of the young adults group, which is like the sub 30 group, like 18 to 30. And that pastor took me under his wing for a bit. And in a way was grooming me to be a pastor. And I thought, that would be a great avenue to do what I wanted to do and to actually help the church live out the teachings of Jesus in a radical way rather. And that is like that love is the greatest of all these things. Hmm. Uh, There's no law above love. And I was so passionate about that, that I was like, cool, this is what I'm doing. And then one day I was approached by someone, by a pastor And he said that he wanted me to make a testimony video that they would project like on Sunday in front of everyone at all of their different campuses. And I'm like, sure, yeah, super down, super down to tell my story, you know, about loving yourself, about loving others. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, you know, about like how you're a reformed gay. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, what? He's like, I was like, I need you to repeat that. (laughs) He was like, and he said, you know, like how you were gay and you were like in that lifestyle of sin and now you know Jesus and now you're not gay. And I was like, uh, definitely still gay. (laughs) Just, I'm like, I haven't been dating anyone for going on three years now, Um, but definitely gay. And, And all of a sudden it's like they swarmed in and I'm being cornered by the pastor's wife and another member of the leadership team, a few people of the leadership team on different occasions about how I'm not really a Christian. I don't know Jesus. I'm not saved. And I'm not really a member of this church unless I am fully ready to like repent of my sin of being gay. And then I could go back to church. And they mentioned going to specific therapy which they didn't call it gay conversion therapy, but that's very much what they meant. Mm. And I, at that time, I was like, no, man, I'm out. Like, y'all, you have this so wrong. I was forced out, but I also didn't try to go back. And I unfortunately know that there are other members of that church who were forced to go to gay conversion therapy in order to keep their jobs or with the church or in order to be able to be a member there. And that's just such a damaging experience to be told is necessary to do that. Like you are inherently wrong and you will go to hell if you love who you love. And I haven't been to church since. So Mm -hmm. it's a really traumatic experience for me, but 
On the other side of it, I've been able to help other people I know that have gone to that church or other churches like it who are not gay affirming and help them navigate how to process losing that part of their lives and seeing what it can translate to in the next iteration. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and it's it's interesting you you there is this theme here around how church was so much more than just the Bible and teachings of, mm-hmm. of Jesus. It was, it was, you talk about it in terms of community, in terms of being a pillar almost in your life, of, of being a, a really mm-hmm. good one, part of your foundation, and mm-hmm. to have that taken away in an instant for things that feel natural to you, that are natural mm-hmm. to you, must be jarring. has to be. It definitely is. At that point in time, I had a little bit more like fire than I do these days. And so I'm like, I got very loud about how I felt about that situation. And then I, and then grieving the loss of that community, because the whole point of this particular church, their slogan, if you will, is building community, changing lives. And I don't know why being gay is the generational sin of this era, but unfortunately it is. And I can't really speak for all Christians or all gay people or queer people who interact with Christians and have similar experiences, but it really shook me. And I had a lot of shame surrounding it. And even though I knew that they were wrong, I still felt, man, I wish that I could just be normal so that I wish that I'd been born a boy so I could love a woman and, mm. and not have to deal with any of this stuff. It's so challenging to be the other, whatever the other is in any given situation. And then, you know, going through a sickness, going through all the challenges that life brings without any real sense of community that you are used to having is just, it, it, it felt incredibly lonely. And so I've definitely dealt with a lot of that. And that's why I'm passionate about building a community here in Lafayette that supports people like me, humans like me, who may or may not have had the same kind of experiences. If you feel like you've been kicked out of your family, kicked out of your church, kicked out of whatever, like, we will be your family. So that's something that I'm actively trying to build now. I love that. And, and the city certainly needs it. As much progress as, as, as has happened in 10 years, it should be more everywhere, really. Everywhere, um, yeah. So tell us a little bit more about this vision for what you've got going on in the future. I know you're, you're master planning right now, and so things are subject <laughs> yeah. to change, but uh, you've you got a vision for certain things you want to do in the community, certain ways for businesses to perhaps get involved as well. Just talk us through that. Yeah, so it's interesting to be, again, like, I don't just identify as male, I identify as being pangendered. That's a better word for me than non-binary. It just feels better in my brain. But it's strange to pass as a white male now. Like, if I'm in a hoodie, and people hear my voice, and they don't have to, like, look at my license, they think I'm a white man to some degree. And that is just such a mind-blowing experience (laughs) for me to be part of this group of humans that actively oppressed me and really the world for eternity. And I don't mean that to say that all white men, all straight white men 
are being oppressive to any sort of community, but in the general terms of like European colonialism, like to be part of and accepted as part of that group is just, it's a really interesting experience. What I've learned is the only thing I can do with this newfound privilege that I have and will continue to have as I continue to transition is to make room and hold space for minority voices. Even though I am one, I can pass as not being one. So I wanna hold space for people of color, women, other queer humans and help them get their voices heard. And so that's my purpose right now. And that's what I'm like trying to build my life around currently. And in Lafayette, I have a small group of friends who are very politically active, very queer or queer affirming, and we want to help change things here. And so I want to start a nonprofit. I actually had a vision dream about it. I woke up in the middle of the night mm. from this dream where I'm standing on a main road in Lafayette and I'm giving a press conference outside of this nonprofit that I've opened behind me. And its whole purpose is to serve kids up to 18 and beyond, really create a family and a support system for those on the LGBTQI uh, spectrum. And like I said, give them a place to go, help give them a home, give them a family. Let's give them, help them get therapy, help them get the gender care they need, help them build community, help them understand what it is to walk through the world as a man or as a woman or as both. And that's something I'm really passionate about. So I don't really know what it's called yet. I'm still whiteboarding <laughs> the, the whole vision, but I really want to start a, a nonprofit like that here. And the inspiration for that is everything that I've been through so that people in 10 and 20 more years, hopefully that doesn't happen in Lafayette at all. Things are going to happen, but at least I hope it happens a lot less. So that's part one. I'm, and I say that it's like, cool, like we're starting this nonprofit. It's going to be great. Done. But it's definitely going to be a long road. Mm -hmm. So that's one aspect for sure. Perfect. And then, sorry, did you have something to say about on that? No, I was going to, I was going to propel you into the second part, but I think you were about to go there. Yeah. And so how do we build acceptance? Because I don't just want to be tolerated. I don't want queer people. I don't want people to be tolerant of my existence. I want people, I crave people to accept me and to accept queer humans and to accept BLM activists as valid and not just tolerate them. But in my particular experience of being queer, the question is, how do we do that? How do we start changing an entire ecosystem of belief in a city that's wildly conservative? And so that out of that kind of came this idea of coding an app. Again, it's a working title, but like the queer pages, if you think mm -hmm. of the yellow pages, mm -hmm. and you're, you're, you need a massage therapist or you need a dentist or a physical therapist, and you go and you search on this app, and you can find queer owned businesses, you can find like queer ally businesses, so that I know that if I'm coming to you for 
physical therapy that I'm safe with you as a human. And I think that's a huge part of changing the ecosystem of Lafia and really the world is building community with people who are different from us. Mm-hmm. And so that's part two of, of what I want to do here. I love that. Who are different from us, but welcoming, welcoming and accepting, not just tolerant. I, I love that vision. And I wanted to go back for a moment to double click on that piece about privilege that you mentioned, because I, I, I want to make sure you're heard correctly, because I, I think there, there are some folks who hear the word privilege and have a strong reaction to it. And they go, oh, I'm not privileged. My, my life's been plenty hard. I, I work for the man just like everybody else and get my butt kicked and health mm-hmm. issues and so on and so forth. I think what folks tend to miss there is that you're not saying that people are privileged to, to, to exist, but rather they're privileged to not have to worry about all the things that you've also had to worry about because your life has also been hard and, and so on and so forth. You yeah. might've had identical, you know, let's just pretend for a second, this actually isn't statistically true, but let's pretend that you had like identical paychecks. You work the exact same job. It turns out mm-hmm. people from underrepresented communities get paid a lot less, but that's a conversation for, for another day. <laughs> yeah. Let's pretend you're working and your paycheck were identical. It's easy to say, oh, there, there's no privilege here, but it's more, the steps that you had to overcome and the things and the topics that you have to think about just to get to that step is a much higher volume of steps to take than would otherwise be needed to get to that point. For sure. And this is part of, you know, what we were talking about yesterday that people get very defensive when they feel threatened. And if I, and it's happened with some friends of mine that when I talk to them, like I remember I posted something on Facebook and I'm Caucasian clearly, but I'm also half Latino. My father's from Peru, the entire side of my family is from Guatemala. Um, And so I'm biracial, but I don't look it. Mm. And I understand that my skin tone gives me opportunities that my, my skin tone and my last name help me get more opportunities than someone who it may has more melanin or whose last name is Viegas or what have you. That's also been proven. People who have last names that don't sound white get passed over in resume reviews. I don't know the exact ratio, but we know it happens. Mm-hmm. And so again, this goes back to learn, like being able to communicate. Let's say you're a white cisgendered heterosexual male and I'm like, you have privilege that I don't. And he gets mad. He's like, I don't have privilege. Like I make $20,000 a year. My life is hard. I have six kids. I have to worry about rent. I go from paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. I break my back working on an oil rig all day, every day. I'm away from my family for three weeks at a time. I'm like, at that point, you have to like deescalate situation and help him or whatever human you're talking to feel heard. And it's, hey, man, I never said your life wasn't hard. I'm really sorry you don't see your family three weeks out of the month. I'm really sorry that you have a job that degenerates your body. I'm really sorry that you struggle. But what I'm saying is your skin tone and your sexual identity don't threaten your life by just existing. Trans people of color are murdered at such an exponential rate over other categories of humans that it's abhorrent. 
And when I speak about privilege as a white male, if a white male is like my cousin, he can walk down the street with his wife and hold hands. Not one human will look at them weird. And if they do, it has nothing to do with them being gay Mm -hmm. or being black or being anything. It's just that they are both white and they're straight and they're, they must be married or dating because they're holding hands. If there are certain parts of the country, certain parts of this city, if I walk into there, every single human in the room turns and looks at me because I'm clearly an other. Mm. Like that's what I mean by privilege is being accepted as part of the majority rather than being a minority And I'm in no way trying to say that your life has been easy. It's just easier in some very Mm -hmm. specific ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it it, it makes me think, you know, if the example you gave of that person on the oil rig, like if that life is so hard and you're learning from a conversation with you that life for folks in underrepresented communities are even harder, then that should Mm -hmm. be the signal to all of us to work even harder to change all that for all of us rather than right. get against each other. Yeah. Then we start talking about equity, not just equality. Yeah. You know, that guy's like, cool. You want, you want to be equal. You want me to accept you as a man, come work on this oil rig with me and we'll see how that goes. And that's not, yeah. Like we could be getting paid the same amount, but it doesn't mean that our lives are equitable mm-hmm. or our experiences are equitable. And that's where, I think we need to pivot and transcend to away from just everyone being equal and balancing the scales for all minorities so that people have access to the same opportunities like with affirmative action or with gay marriage and the right to adopt children as a lesbian or gay or queer human. That's what I'm trying to get at. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Well, may we see you flourish in that journey and may this be the the beginning of the most extraordinary chapter of your life after many chapters you've already had. So I will say thank you on my behalf for blessing this podcast setup, being the very first guest here. Before we sign off, I, I just want to open it up to, is there anything, any parting thoughts or any parting wisdom or notes that you wanted to sign off on? beyond thanking you for your time yeah i'm just looking at my notes real quick no i think we covered everything that i really had again all i want to say is to everyone get out of your boxes if you want to do a thing go do the thing and forget what anyone thinks about it because at the end of the day it's you and your body and your brain if something about your life isn't sitting well with you go change it because it's so much better on the other side. Whenever you fully accept and love yourself, it helps you fully accept and love the people around you. Mm. It's going to change your community. It's going to change your relationships with your spouse, with your friends, with your children. As soon as we can all show up authentically as a collective, the better off everyone will be. And we will have more than enough power, equity, love to go around, no matter how you identify via race, creed, or religion. So. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ruben. I appreciate your time so much. Thank you. My pleasure. This has been a joy and an honor. I can't wait till we do this again. And I can't wait to see how this all comes out. So 
Thank you, Jackson. Yeah, I'm, thank you so much. I'm super stoked. We'll do this again soon. Yeah, absolutely. If we don't talk in the next 48 hours, happy new year. And we'll yeah, talk soon. That's right. Happy new year. 2021. <laughs> let's go. Let's, let's make go. something different. <laughs> <laughs>